Um, turn to your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, 28. Ryan, I don't have much this morning. I'm going to hold it, but I'm not going to use it. So I'll just point um, if you could just click to the first or the, the various ones. I only have about five or six slides today. Hmm. So go ahead and put the first one up there, brother. Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, a famous, popular passage. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. Even after reading a verse like this, how is one supposed to make sense out of the next thing that we have seen taking place this week? How is one supposed to make sense out of a Hurricane Harvey that the death toll is over 40 and will continue to climb? And Can you imagine the job of the workers and the relief people and the cleanup crew is... They go into homes that have not been searched yet, not knowing if they're going to find life or death. How is someone supposed to make sense out of the worst flooding in the United States, in the history of the United States? Images that we've seen and stories that we've heard that are just heartbreaking. I heard of an entire family that perished in their van, except for one, but the entire family perished in their van because they couldn't get out to stories of animals that are perishing. How can good come from anything like this? Excuse me, I need to cough. Just one second. Or how can good come from a much-beloved spouse that has passed away? Or a child that has left this earth far, far too soon? Where is the silver lining when one receives a call from the doctor's office that says they have that dreaded C word? Wayward children, chronic depression, addictions, marriages that are falling apart. Even in life's less tragic events like looking at our checkbook and realizing there's too much going out and not enough coming in. Speeding tickets or fender benders, never-ending chronic physical pain, work-related headaches, you name it, you fill in the blank yourself. And how can we see good come from things like this? I believe Romans 8.28 has some powerful things to teach us if we'll just look close enough. Some of you may be asking why... I'm choosing this passage, why I'm choosing this to be the basis for my final series of messages with you. Well, we all know that anyone can claim Christianity, anyone can claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ when life is going well, when the sun is shining. Anyone can do that. But if I can leave you with some eternal truths, that will get you through some of life's most difficult trials, allowing you to stay standing when the dust clears, when the smoke clears. If 
I can leave you with some of those truths, I believe that I will have served you well and the Lord would be pleased. But let's face it, bad things will happen. Some more tragic than others, but we cannot get around this fact. And when it comes to the promises of God's word, let's just face it, most of us do not look at Romans 8, 28. Uh, Ryan, if, if you could go back. Go back to our verse. Most of us do not look at this verse as a leading promise of God. But I want us to start this morning to look at this verse as a major definite promise of God. One that will meet every negative moment of our life head on. And in time, now this is going to sound like a preacher thing. It's going to sound like a profound thing. Like I'm trying to be... Dramatic, but in time, this verse can resolve and get us through every problem that we face. I don't mean to trivialize life's most difficult moments and act as if Romans 8.28 is just a little small pill that we can take during our difficult times and everything will be fine. But as the author of the book, The Promise, Robert Morgan puts it, in Romans 8.28, we have a God-given assurance that every single circumstance will sooner or later turn out well for those fully committed to Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. Romans 8.28 is a God-given assurance that every single circumstance will sooner or later turn out well for those fully committed to Jesus Christ. You see, just in this one verse, God tells us that He can make a blessing out of our burdens, gladness out of our sadness. If we'll but latch on to its truths, backed up by the entirety of God's Word, listen, this verse can even change your emotions. This verse can even change your moods, our outlook on life. It can affect our personalities and alter the circumstances of life. I really believe that. It can help us conquer discouragement and lessen the pains of grief and sorrow. And it can take debilitating doubt and turn it into an unconquerable faith. Sounds like a thing I'm supposed to say behind the pulpit, right? But do you believe it? I want you to repeat that verse with me right now. Let's say it out loud with me. Here we go. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I've been to my fair share of funerals over the last several years. And I've heard many well-meaning people say things, and I have probably said things like this as well, and you have as well, but I've heard many well-meaning people say things like, you'll get through this. Don't worry, time heals all wounds. I know just how you feel. When really we don't. 
Don't worry, it's going to be okay. The pain won't last forever. Sometimes we say those things and trying to mean well, but... And my question for you this morning is Romans 8.28, just another one of those cliche sayings. Is it like what Mary Poppins said, a pie crust promise? Easily made, easily broken. Or is it something that we can hang on to during life's roughest moments? Let me ask you this question. What if you knew that all of life's tragedies and all of life's difficult moments could all turn out well, regardless of what you're facing? That's something to leave excited about, right? What if you could leave this morning knowing that whatever you have faced or are facing or what you will face can turn out well in time for the glory of God, regardless of what you're facing? What if Romans 8.28 was was like a life jacket that you could put on and no matter how big the storm was, no matter how violent and how high the waves were, they would never overtake you, that you would never drown, that you would never go under. I'm telling you, this is what Romans 8.28 promises you. There's a guy who runs a soundboard down in Nashville, Tennessee, and one day, his name is Wade Kilgore, one day his pastor asked him this question, Wade, can you think of anything in your life that was very bad, but it turned out good? Wade said, quote, you mean like the time the police burst into my house whenever I was 10? The pastor was obviously intrigued. Wade went on to say, My dad was a drug dealer and my mother was an alcoholic. One night the police rushed into the house, arrested my dad, and he later went to prison. My mom and little sister started screaming and I knew I had to be strong. So as calmly as I could, I went into the back room and called my grandparents. They came and took my sister and me home with them and they ended up raising us. The pastor asked what good came out of that. Well, one night shortly afterward, my grandparents dropped me off at a nearby church that was having VBS. And that evening, I asked Jesus to be my Savior. A man in the church took an interest in me and he would pick me up and take me to church every week. This man also ran the soundboard and during the worship service and he would let me help him. By age 12, I was running the sound all by myself in that little church. It amounted to nothing more than just turning on the power at the beginning and turning off the power at the end of the service. He said, but I loved doing it, and I've been doing it ever since. Here in Nashville, I work during the week for recording companies and sound studios, but it's what I do at church for the Lord that I enjoy the most. This is the career and ministry that God has given me, and none of it would have happened had it not been for that terrible night when I was ten. Then he said to the pastor, Did I mention that Romans 8.28 is my life verse? All the bad things that happened to me during my childhood and teenage years have really turned out for my good. I can see that 
now. Kind of a feel-good, fuzzy story, but can we make Romans 8.28 our life verse? Can we wear it on our hearts 24-7 365 days of the year? Recently, our country went bonkers over the eclipse. Uh, some of you may have tried to see that. Thousands of people bought those crazy-looking glasses. Brian, I saw a post that you made about one of those glasses. I forget exactly what it was, but you looked really good, by the way, in those glasses. And people traveled all over the country to, to try and get just the perfect spot in order to see this once-in-a-lifetime event. Ralph Waldo Emerson once asked, what would happen if the stars, if the constellations that we see at night appeared only once every thousand years? Imagine what an exciting event that would be. Now, some of you are just looking at me like, okay, you know why? Because we take it for granted. Every day, Every night on a clear sky night, we have the privilege of looking up into the galaxies and into the constellations and the stars and the ability to say, wow. But can you imagine if that only happened once every thousand years? But Emerson said, but because they are there every night, we barely give them a look. What if Romans 8.28 was kind of like that? What if Romans 8.28 was kind of like a coupon or a voucher that you could turn in just one time in your life? Think about it. What would you do with that verse? If you could only use it one time in your life, what would you do? You would probably keep that voucher, that coupon, locked up in a safe somewhere, hold it incredibly precious to you, and use it in what you thought was life's, your life's most difficult, tragic Aren't you glad that it's not like that? Aren't you glad that this is not a verse that you can only use one time? Aren't you glad it's not like the eclipse that comes around in a once-in-a-lifetime event? This is a promise that if you'll stick with me over the coming weeks, I think you'll realize, wow, there is so much in this one verse. So much that we can live by. So much that we can count on every day of our life. I do have to give you somewhat of a warning, though. There is a condition to this verse that we will get into later, but Romans 8.28 is not an automatic promise. It's available to everyone, but it's not merely for anyone. Did you hear that? It's available to everyone, but it's not merely for anyone. One must meet the conditions, exercise both obedience and faith in order to set it into motion. And as I said, we'll cover more of that later. Many of you could probably attest to the story that I told earlier. Someone once said that life is like the Hebrew language. I don't know if you realize this, but we write... And we read from left to right. For you, it's that way. For me, it's this way. But the Hebrew language is opposite. Did you know that? In the Hebrew language, they write from right to left. And they read from 
right to left. Really, it's backwards to us. Sometimes life is backwards. Sometimes life is like this. And it's only when we look back and at times on our life that we will see this verse. We can see this verse come to fruition in our life. That God has been working all along in our difficulties and in our trials and in our hardships. He's there all along, but many times, like the Hebrew language, we will only see it as we look back. God can use any difficulty in our life for His glory. But sometimes He needs time to bring about His life lessons. Now, there is a practicality with this whole message and this whole series. What do I mean by that? If you were to go home or go to your place of work and ask someone that knows you well, ask someone to describe you as whether you are a pessimistic person or an optimistic person, what do you think they would say? Kind of quiet, isn't it? Yeah. What do you think they would say of you or of me? Right away, I'm looking at Reuben back there. All the times that I've gone to see Reuben, and if you spend any very much time with Reuben, you will know he is an optimistic person. All that he's gone through, all that he's been through, he has chosen, and many of you have been that way as well, but he has chosen to look at life in, a, in an optimistic I have a feeling that in my life, when things are going well, Stephanie would probably say I'm very optimistic, but when things are not going well, say amen or ouch to that. When life throws us a curveball, do we remain optimistic or do we remain or do we go in the pessimistic way? You see, buried, if you look at this verse, buried in Romans 8.28 is the very essence of hope. It's the very essence of being positive. It's the very essence of being optimistic. And is being a positive person, being optimistic, is that not one of the first things that the world should say about us as believers? Say amen to that. Ah, I've lost you. When people look at our life, should they not look at us as being optimistic people? Yes. Peter said that we ought to always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason of the hope within us. We ought to always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason of the hope within us. As I said, I talked about Reuben. There's others that I thought of, but I can't help. When I think of optimism, I can't help but think of Dave Burrell. He's not here, so I can talk about him. I can't help but think about Dave Burrell. He has got to be one of the most, if not the most, optimistic, positive people that I've really ever met. He's also one of the craziest, loudest guys I've ever met, he too. 
<laughs> but we love him. But you know something that I've also noticed about Dave? He always has people around him. You notice that? He always has people around him. You see, people are drawn to those who are positive. See, here's the practicality part of what I'm talking about. People are drawn to those who are optimists, who look at life with a glass half full perspective. Whether Dave is here at home or whether he's on a reservation out in Dilcon, Arizona, Dave is an optimist. I don't know if I see Lisa. She's probably around here somewhere. I'm not saying Dave's perfect. I'm sure he has his moments when he gets down, he gets discouraged. But I also believe that at times it's a choice for Dave. Reuben, is it not a choice to be optimistic? Yeah. Sometimes the very thing that you want to be is negative and pessimistic, and that's whenever we need to tap into this verse. The truths of this verse. Look, I'm just going to be honest with you. Today's message is not going to be one that's going to get you on your feet and just hooping and hollering. And Although I'd love to see some of you do that from time to time. But it's not one of those types of messages. But man, the truths are deep. The truths in this message are rich. And if you, will, if you will but pick out the truths that we're going to talk about, I'm telling you, they may be the very things that save you. Keep you standing when the smoke clears. What about the rest of us? A depressed, dejected, dispirited believer is a poor recommendation for the Christian faith. Look, I've met some people that just seem to come out of the womb in a bad mood. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? They just seem to be negative. They just, that, that's just the way. And then they live the rest of their life on pessimistic avenue. That's just where they live. You've met them. Hopefully you're not married to one. I'm just kidding. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, not related to one. Maybe you are. And some of them claim to be followers. I, and, and I remember um, one of the churches that whenever I was in growing up, there was this one gentleman, just the mention of his name, and immediately you're like, ugh. And he was a believer, went to church all of his life, and, but he was known to be a grouch. He was known to be a pessimist. He was known to be negative. And you know what I've noticed about people like that? They're always by themselves. Rarely do they draw a crowd. Hmm. And we actually avoid people like this. Say amen or out, right? Yeah. In his book, Learned Optimism, Dr. Martin Seligman, Seligman, He reminds us that life inflicts the same setbacks on us all. But optimists have a way of weathering the storms of life, allowing them to be more resilient, healthier, and happier. Oh my, I'm looking at many of you right now, and I could point you out as being optimists. 
But I need to finish my message. I've seen this trait in many of you. This doctor also says that optimism can be a learned trait. And because of this, he advocates learning to interpret life events as positively as possible. Alright, I, I, I said to my, I don't know why, Stephanie, you're going to kill me. Not, this is not against you. I, I just, I said to myself, I'm not going to tell this story and I'm going to tell the story. It's not, don't worry, it's not on you, it's on me. Trying to be as positive as I can and um, it's a shame Dick Kelly is not here because he'd get a kick out of this. I was uh, working on my bathroom the other day. I can't believe I'm going to tell this story on myself. And uh, the hot water handle side was bad. It was leaking around, around the edge, so I wanted to fix it. And um, I watched enough YouTube videos. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> you watched them too, I see. But it's not. It wasn't rocket science. I knew I could do this. And so... What you have to do is there's a little set screw that takes the handle off. And you take that off, and then there's the mechanism, and then there's a there's a bolt. Dean, don't laugh. There's a bolt. He's a fix it, Mr. Fix it. There's a bolt that turns that uh, holds that little mechanism in, and you unscrew that. Oh, Luke. Oh, Luke. Oh, Luke. I'm so sorry. Don shot. So I'm turning that that bolt, and I forgot one critical thing. (laughs) I forgot to turn the water off. And what I did not realize is that a geyser was just waiting to happen. And I turned that screw, that bolt to to get that off, and it was about three or four, and and I'm telling you, it was like Old Faithful. The guys there, it was going everywhere. I, I typically do not panic in life. I was panicking. I was, I was going, oh, 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 oh. When I, you know, and, and I was underneath, I realized, you idiot, you didn't turn the water off. And so I got underneath there, and, I, and it was jammed. And I'm telling you, about for 30 seconds, there was water going everywhere. Um... I was soaking wet. The, the, there was water in the drawers. There was water in my drawers. And there was water was everywhere. All right? It was embarrassing. Did I just say that? I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> so... Um, I thought, I've got to get this water off. My adrenaline was going like crazy, and I finally got it. Little did I realize that there was some sharp pieces on the handle, and all of a sudden my hands are bleeding. i got blood all over my hands. There's water everywhere, but I finally, I got the water turned off. Yay! Now I'm on YouTube. <laughs> Well, Stephanie came home that night. Do you think I told her? No, I didn't say a word to her. I told her after I fixed it. It is fixed. Good? Luke, if you're looking for extra help, you know not where to come, where to call.
So what is the Romans 8.28 in this whole story? I have learned to see the good. I have learned that I will never again do that as long as I live. I have learned to turn the water off. (laughs) Yikes. I'm totally lost. I have no idea where I'm at in my message right now. I'm human. I went into Lowe's to get the the new little part, and I looked at the guy and I said, you'll never believe what I did. And he said, I've done it too. So it it happens to all of us. Being optimistic. Hey, after all this is said and done, I have learned, and I have learned to see the positive out of all that whole mess. And um, I'm not saying that we should bury our heads in life's difficulties. I'm not saying that that we should not see the reality of our difficult situation, but what I am trying to introduce to you today is that no matter what difficulty, there can be good that will come out of it. We need an optimism that is also grounded in realism. Romans 8, 28 allows us to do both. I need to, I'm not going to say that, but I want to go a couple more things. Now, aside from our ability to persevere and be positive, there's an even greater reason for us to be an optimist. If you still have your Bibles open, I want you to to look at one more verse. Let me say that again. Aside from our personal ability to be positive, there's an even greater reason for us to be an optimistic person. Look just two verses before. Romans 8.26 says this, Ryan, there you go. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Louise referenced this earlier. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Let's just suppose you're going through something incredibly difficult. And you're having a hard time getting through it. And obviously one day you hear a knock on the front door and you open the door. And and you know your family and your friends, they're praying for you. They're caring for you. They're doing all they can, which is great. You get that knock on the front door and you open it up and there's Billy Graham. Yeah. And, and you begin to kind of fumble over yourself and just, you know, you're trying to get your composure and you invite him in and he comes in and he sits down in your living room and he says to you, he says, I've heard that you're going through difficulty. And he said, I have personally come to see you because I want you to know that I'm going to be praying for you every day until this need is met. How do you think that you would feel? Folks, right now, let me tell you, there is someone far greater than Billy Graham who is interceding for you. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He is making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Someone far, far greater 
is going on your behalf and on my behalf to the Heavenly Father. Not an angel, I like this part, not an angel, not a heavenly representative, but the Holy Spirit himself. The third part of the Trinity goes on our behalf. And I'm so glad that, I was telling somebody this the other day, I'm so glad that we do not have to be in a certain body position to get the Holy Spirit's attention. We don't have to be facing Mecca in order to get the Holy Spirit's attention. We don't have to uh, have put ourselves through some self-degradation, so to speak. Um, I've read stories about Martin Luther before he came to the verse that really hit him, the just shall live by faith. He was, uh, he was a Catholic priest or, uh, uh, in the Catholic Church at the time. And I heard that what he would do is he would purposely try to torture himself go days and days and weeks without food and water or as much as he could, or he would, put, he would contort his body in certain positions so that he would be extremely uncomfortable and it would be painful, but in hopes that God and the Holy Spirit would look down upon favor with him and say, okay, blessed are you. I've seen the pain that you're going through now. Now you have my attention. It's not like that at all. Aren't you glad that all we have to do is have that right relationship with God the Father? Now, we may want to prostrate ourselves on the floor. We may want to just so humble ourselves, whatever position that is, but the Holy Spirit is there 24-7, 365. Ready to help us. Ready for us to call on Him. What's even better is what He does with our needs So many times we're just overwhelmed to the point that we don't even know what we need. Or we may think we know what we need. But you see, the Holy Spirit, once we accept Christ, He has been taking up residence in our hearts. He's been living there ever since the day that we accepted Christ. And now He goes about trying to get us to look more and more like Him. So really, the Holy Spirit, it says when the Holy Spirit goes to the Father, He is interceding. And in verse 27, which we'll look at more in the coming weeks, verse 27 tells us that He really knows what your need is. Because He's living in your heart. He knows what you really need. And that's what He's taken to the Heavenly Father. He knows the real issue even before we do. And then he just doesn't take it to the Father. It says that he intercedes on our behalf. He goes to bat for us, so to speak. Church, there is no better person to approach the throne of God for us and plead our case than the Holy Spirit himself. That should make all of us, if not some of you, leave here with a pep in your step. There's someone here this morning that you're going through it. That's just, it's a safe bet. You either have gone through something or you are going something or you will go through something. But let's just say you are going through something and you feel alone, you feel lost, you feel like, God, how much longer do I have to go through this? Know that the Holy Spirit knows who you are. He knows what your need is and He is interceding on your behalf and He knows just what you need. You just need to be faithful to God. And do what he wants you to do today. And when you get up in the morning, say, okay, Holy Spirit. So many times, you know, uh, so many times we, we talk uh, almost to, to the Holy Spirit as though he's not even in the room. We'll talk to the God about, God, send the Holy Spirit. No, he's right there for you. Talk to the Holy Spirit your, yourself and himself. He's right there for us. Yeah. 
That's why verse 26 and verse 27 comes before verse 28. That's why it says, that's why Paul said all things can work for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose, because the Holy Spirit's involved. Because God the Father is involved, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Listen, we're just getting started into this series, but let me end today by saying that if you're going through a difficulty today, and you're a believer, take your burdens to the Lord, and as the old song says, and leave it there. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Forget how the rest of that goes, but just leave it there. Leave it there. If you trust Him and never doubt, right? He will surely lead you out. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. There, it came back to me. The Father and the Holy Spirit, they know exactly what you need. Mandy, come on up. Joyce, I think we're going to have you close. Have us close. And they, I'm not sure what song they've picked. Let me tell one more story, and then we'll be done. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for allowing me to be real and show my stupidity with you this morning. You're welcome. Ryan, one more picture. John Peterson. He was born in 1921. By the time that he was a teenager, he had developed an incredible singing voice. And it was his goal to make it his career in life to just be a vocalist, an incredible performer. He, he said this, quote, Only in singing did I feel competent and confident. Here was at least one place where I could excel. I knew it, and I made the most of it. Sounds to me like he was placing all of his trust in something other than the Lord, but he was very confident in his singing. Radio stations all over the country would play his music, play him singing. He was in great demand as a performer, and his dream was coming true. But one particular summer, he was still a teenager at this time, he took up a job in a factory, a very loud factory, and the machine that he was working on was so loud, um, he couldn't even hear himself think. It was one of those type of environments. So what he decided to do all day long as he was working around this machine is just sing and sing at the top of his lungs and just pretend that he was up on stage performing and singing and For uh, hours at a time, day after day and week after week, he would do this. But what he didn't realize is that all during this time, he was abusing his voice. And he was ruining his vocal cords. By the time that he recognized the problems that he was having and went to the doctor, it was too late. The doctor said that you have done irreparable damage to your vocal cords and that he would never again be able to sing as he once did. And John Peterson said he went into a depression. It took him months and months to get over this. But that's when Romans 8, 28 kicked in. 
John was already a good songwriter, but when he began trusting that God could and would bring good out of his tragedy, it allowed him to become a prolific song and hymn writer. And he later said this, If that event had not happened, I might never have developed as a writer. What at first seemed a tragedy was used for good. And the course of my life began to take shape in a quite unexpected way. You see, Peterson may have lost his ability to wow the crowds with his voice. But God had other plans for him. Plans that eventually led him to write a song that I will always remember John Getchy singing. It took a miracle. John Peterson wrote that song. John Peterson also wrote, Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. He also wrote, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I hope you'll come back as we begin to dive into this verse even more. And hopefully some of you, if not maybe just one person, can leave here hopeful. What you're going through may not be right at this second, but what you're going through can be for the good. Would you bow your heads, please? God, thank you. As uh, Sharon spoke, we're all human. None of us here are perfect. We all go through difficulties. We all go through tragedies. And some are more tragic than others. And... Lord, I pray that you would begin to work on us, that you would begin to speak to all of us. Lord, there are some of us that are more pessimistic than optimistic. There are some here that that need to allow you to begin to change their personalities, to be more like Jesus Christ. And the painful question is when someone meets us or those who know us, would they say that we are more optimistic or are we pessimistic? we more like you, Christ, or are we less like you? We have to ask ourselves, are we people that others want to be around? Do we, are we givers or are we takers? Or I don't know, God. I think truth be told, we've all been both. But may we begin to look at this verse. All things can work together for good. To those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. Speak to us today, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please?